Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Scripture reading this morning is from Exodus 20, 13, and Matthew 5, 21 through 24. You shall not murder. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Amen. Okay, uh, before we get started though, I want to just take a moment, um, uh, obviously, uh, it's a little toastier than usual. We're working on AC. We do have air conditioning in this space, and we're trying to get that fixed. It's been a while since we've been in here when it's been warm. Um, and thank you, Heather, for reading for us. Uh, before we begin, I just want to just make a comment about the safety measures that we've been using while we've been here. Thank you all for being masked. Uh, we came up with those protocols to get in the space as early as possible here in March. Um, and it's been gr- we did that because it's been great to see you all. We got here as soon as we could. Um, and I'm glad we did that so that we could be together. We recognize, we know that the CDC has uh, changed um, uh, with new guidance. The governor has also made announcements about masks and gatherings uh, just last week, uh, which our team has reviewed with our COVID task force that has epidemiologists and, and doctors and other folks on it. And... Um, Uh, The good news is this, is that even though throughout the pandemic, our guiding question has always been, what is going to be the most loving thing to do? It's always, it's been really difficult because of the the wisdom needed and the feelings that people have on various sides of things. Right now, after that guidance, we're actually going to wait a little bit longer for our local Department of Health to give guidance for worship services. Right now, the guidance is for businesses and some churches have started to use that, but we're going to wait for, hopefully not too much longer, guidance about places of worship. Um, at LSQ, we want to be a church not just for ourselves, but for others, and to be a community where you're known, loved, and cared for. And as we look at this command again today to do not murder, I really think we need to keep working on our own hearts to not be murdering, many murdering people in our hearts that we disagree with. Um, to be able to commit ourselves to that. Because I think we're moving now into a phase of the pandemic where we're going to have many different views about the right way forward and how we can approach that with kindness. So we're going to need to love those who actually feel safest by having to continue using protocols and distancing. But we're also going to need to love those who feel like we don't need these protocols based off of the various guidances we're giving. And then there's everybody in between. So we must not let hear me say this, we must not let our various views, as strongly as we hold them, to divide us in that process. And that's been happening throughout the pandemic. And I'm just pleading with you all, 
can we, let's not do that here. As we try to, and we're going to, try to accommodate as many people as possible. Again, more details will be shared about any changes that we make, and we're, gonna, and we're, we're trying to make them as fast as possible about the COVID-19 protocols for in-person worship. We're going to do that in conjunction with uh, Ethical Culture, who also has protocols on us as well. Um, they're coming, but they're not here yet. So thank you for your patience. It has not been easy. You've all been amazing. Uh, you have been patient. Please give us some more of that patience. Your staff that's been here, that's uh, gone above and beyond to open things up to do this, they need that same grace. And so if you see them, give them an elbow bump, uh, some sort of acknowledgement because they've been here for you. So I just wanted to say that to say, because people are saying, well, what's happening? It's, we're working on it. Um, and thank you for that patience. Now, okay, that's a long way to say that, but I guess there it is. Uh, today is our second week on the command, do not murder. And some of you are like, why are we spending a whole second week on the command, do not murder, when it's pretty obvious, right? That, on, that from, you know, the easy reading, the simplistic reading is it's obvious, just don't murder. And I think the reason why we're doing this is what we said last week is this particular command probably has the most implications and ramifications for our life. Last week we saw the individual uh, application that murder and do not murder is not something that's just done physically out there. Murder, many murdering in our heart can happen if you use the word raka, which we'll go in again, that if you use in your heart this distaste, this ill will, this, this thought that uh, I, I have against somebody else, that in your heart is a type of murder. And so what I want to do today is now today, let's, let's map out all the implications and applications that we can place on ourselves because of this verse. And I want to do just in two, two questions. Let's ask two questions today. What does it look like to reconcile versus raka lies people? And then where do we get the motivation to do that work? All right, so just two things today. What does it look like to reconcile versus what I'll call rockalizing people? And then where do you get the motivation for that to do this work? So first, what does it look like to reconcile versus rockalize? Go, to back, go look in your text on your phone, Matthew 5. What the passage says is Jesus very clearly says, don't rocka people. Or what I call don't rockalize. The word rocka is an untranslatable word because it's not in Greek. This is an Aramaic word, which I think the best word, like instance or, or, or um, aspect of what this is saying is when you say that word, it's I'm dead to you or you're dead to me, right? You don't deserve my attention. You, you're, you're a nobody, you're, you're undeserving and I'm indifferent to you is what you're doing in that statement. And that's what it means. And Jesus is saying, what's interesting is when that's done, interestingly, by the way, he doesn't say if you do this because he's assuming, he says the command, don't do this, but then when that happens, verse 22, sorry, 23 and 24, there's a second command here. And the second command, it says, go, leave your gift, and first be reconciled. And I think a lot of, again, for, I don't know if you're, if you're like me, I just read right on through passages like that. But this is some of the strongest language you're going to find in the New Testament. Because think about it. What's the gift you're supposed to leave? It says, leave your gift at the altar 
And so what Jesus is saying is, he's saying, if you're at the temple, if you're worshiping God, if you're at church right now, it would be better for you to leave that, stop worshiping me, and go reconcile with your brother or sister first. That's what it says. And so literally, if, if some of you right now go, oh my goodness, and you pop up right now and leave, or if you're on the live stream, you turn this off and you go reconcile with somebody, I won't be mad. And I won't be mad because God's not mad at you. In fact, God would rather you do that than actually sit with him. That's, that's a crazy idea. Some of you are like, well, there's nothing more important than worshiping God. Well, actually, God says, no, there is. Go, if you're at the temple, if you're, you're bringing a gift, if you're coming to him and you're, net rec- and you're not reconciled with somebody, else, if they have something against you, he says, go and reconcile with them. It's that important. By the way, Paul says something very similar in Ephesians. I think it's 4 verse 26. Right, what does he say? Like, don't, don't let the sun go down on your anger. I mean, that gives now a time frame. Like, you literally have hours before, you know, the time is up. And I dare say, I believe, for me and for you, there's been many suns that have gone down for some of us for, on our anger. And so that's what we're supposed to do, right? And what I'd like to do today, just quickly, is to go through the three spheres of our life about where we're supposed to reconcile and not rockalize people. Let's just do this quickly. Three spheres, three areas of life. Number one, in your individual life. How are you to treat individuals is the question here. And again, I don't know about you, but my tendency is when somebody hurts me or if I feel like they've done something against me, I pull away. I, I back up. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you might not actively despise somebody, but what you might do is you might kind of, you know, not return their phone calls, don't text them back as fast as you could. You kind of ignore them, ghost them. You know what I'm talking about. And, and again, I said this last week, I kind of have to make this caveat too. When we're talking about reconciliation, we're not talking about uh, abuse or toxic relationships. You know, Jesus is not saying he wants you to continually be traumatized or manipulated. That's not what he's talking about. We have to be wise with those individuals in those dealings. What he's talking about is the everyday normal tendency for us to pull away from people who've hurt us. He's talking about the everyday slights that you have done and they have done to you, the everyday hurts, the everyday situations of individuals in our life. Because what Jesus is saying is, when you pull away, when you ignore, how can you love them? If you're not in the same proximal space, if you're not actually with them, you can't love them, you can't care for them. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to make a move. I want you to literally go with your human space and get closer to those people. And of course you say, okay, well, what does that look like individually? Well, reconciliation individually, let's walk through them. At the very first, the very first thing, don't make excuses. Romans 12 says this this, uh, uh, in verse 14, and Paul does not dance around. He says, Bless those who persecute you. And then you go, and a little later on, he says, bless and do not curse. Which, by the way, whenever a text says two things at the same time, really important. So to bless means what? To live in harmony, to live in shalom, to, to, to move closer. It means at least to have ordered relationships with other people, intentional movement when there's brokenness there. 
Um, I personally feel like this is a pretty convicting text. You know why? I'm not, I, was, I was raised in this town as a New Yorker. If I know somebody has something against me, you know what my, my initial disposition is? You know, that's their problem. <laughs> it's the, kind of the, the, the mentality is, if they have a problem with me, that's not my problem, that's their problem. That's sort of the ethos that we kind of live through, or I live in. And, um, you know, what this is saying, I think, and what's convicting for me is, to do not murder, if you're going to be for life, Jesus is saying, if that's their problem, it's actually your problem too. That's, that, that, I was like, oh my goodness, I've never thought that. It's always like, well, that's your problem. No, it, it is not their problem only, it's your problem too. Now, we've all, I believe we've all had people mad at us at some way or another, and this is saying is, how have you tried to make amends? And again, we're, what's so interesting about our culture today is we're probably more connected digitally than any other society that's ever existed on the face of the earth, and we're also so easily able to just turn those people off too. We don't have to listen to them. We don't have to focus on them. And Jesus is saying is go reconcile with people. Not just if you're in the wrong, which is like, okay, I better do that because I messed up. No, no. If they, f- whatever they think, do it. Uh, I've, guys, this is not easy. I, this is actually really hard. I've tried to reconcile with people before that are, are upset or mad. They think I've wronged them. It's, it's very painful to try to go because you're, you, you get into the weeds of things and there's things that are legitimate. There's things that are illegitimate. There's, 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 everybody has a shade and a, and, a, and a view. This is not easy. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes it doesn't work. But the call here is not to uh, blow that up before you even get a chance. It says live in peace. Go and be reconciled. And so before we move on, let me ask you, have you done this? Have you actually lived a life or tried to do this with your broken relationship? Be, Be really practical. Have you ever made a list of all the people that you are estranged from and have you thought, what would it look like for me to move one step closer? What would it look like for me to reconcile with those individuals? And not just sort of write them off and say, well, I don't have to because, you know, it's their problem. Or I don't have to because I've, I've labeled them with this kind of label, so I don't need to anymore. Jesus is saying, no. Even if, you know, I think a lot of times people, you can make a move and it doesn't, nobody, it doesn't go anywhere. But it's saying we don't have the option to try to push the issue, to try to start the conversation. Move closer, reconcile individually is what it says. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Secondly, you're called to reconcile individually, but you're also called to reconcile and not rockalize socially, or what I'll call uh, with social groups. And I, this, this comes from Paul in Ephesians 2. It's, he, he makes a very bold claim here. 
he says reconciliation doesn't just happen on an individual level. That, and he points out in, in Ephesians 2, if you go to that text, he, there's two people groups, Jews and Gentiles, which these are not just two racial groups uh, in the early church. These were two different social groups, as, uh, sorry, two different um, class groups as well, rich and poor. And he says in verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near. For he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace. There's that reconciliation word, right? Harmony, peace. And this is the, 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 the doozy. He who made the two groups one has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And this is, if you let this hit you, what Jesus is saying is the tendency for the human heart, particularly in today's social climate, is when an individual hears something against their social group, the tendency is to give it little weight. Again, it's like, well, that's their problem. Why, why do we do that? We say, hey, I'm an individual. I can't speak on behalf of my whole class. I can't speak on behalf of my whole race. I can't speak on my whole, behalf of my whole gender. So, you know, that's their problem. But with race relations as they are today, at, with, with class tensions that they are today, with the tensions between men and women today, there's a tendency, I really believe, for, for at some level, when we hear these statements, we go, that's not my problem. I can't own that. I, I, I can't, I, I'm not going to do that. But Paul is saying, if Jesus is here to bring two different racial and economic groups together, that means at some level, we're supposed to not just reconcile with individuals, we're supposed to reconcile with whole groups of people. And so this is really important then. For us to be reconciled, it's not just individually to be okay with your friends and people. It actually talks about different races, classes, and gender groups who potentially have a problem with your race, class, and people group, and we're not supposed to walk away. We're not supposed to, that, that would be rockalizing them. There is a, there's a few different ways to do this, by the way, because you're like, well, how do you do that like, on like whole sort of social groups? Uh, Mirsoff Wolf, in his book, Exclusion and Embrace, lists four main ways that you can do this for whole groups of people, to rockalize them. First one, he calls it elimination, right? This is when you literally try to destroy a whole race. He, he, he mentions the Holocaust as an example of that. The second way to do that is dominion or domination, where you segregate people, you terrorize them, you, you do that in order to keep them within a certain bracket and bound. Uh, the third thing you can do is assimilate them. This means to refuse to accept somebody from a, a race, class, or, or uh, uh, gender group unless they abandon their particular group distinctiveness or culture and to make them adopt a different one to be accepted. And then lastly, he brings up abandonment, to refuse to even care for the needs or defend the rights of that group. Now, if those are the ways that you can rockalize race, class, and gender, if a complaint comes... The question then still pushes on to me, well, then what does it look like to reconcile? Well, the, the quick answers here, at the very first step, listen. Do we actually even listen? Again, I've told you, what I, my tendency is to just tune it out, turn it off, don't go that way. It says, listen to the complaint. Sometimes my wife and I, when we get in kind of heated fights and we're just, we're, we're just going like this past each other, we have to do some more active kind of listening where we, we reflect back what we think we're hearing. So will say, hey, I think you're saying this. Is this what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Well, I'm saying this. 
Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes, I hear what you're saying. You, you literally have to kind of actively listen, listen to each other. I, I know that um, there's whole American people groups that are fraught right now, right? I mean, th- this is not an exhaustive list, but you have like white and Native Americans, you have black and Asian, you have rich and poor, male and female, and we can't begin to reconcile these groups of people if we don't first listen. Very basic thing, but are we listening? And then are, once we listen, are we, do we have the relation, relationships, the, the trust in those relationships to be able to go to the next step? Because the next step would be then to own what you can own. Own what, I mean, whether it's action or inaction, what can we own? And this, this is where our text helps us again. Go back to Matthew 5. What does it say? In Matthew 5, it says, if somebody has a problem against you, but that, fast forward to Matthew 18, and it says, what do you do when there's broken relationships when you have a problem with somebody else? It says to go. So add these things together. If uh, Matthew 5, if it's not your fault, you're supposed to go. But if it is your issue, you're supposed to go. That means we're always supposed to make the move. It's always our job to reconcile, to listen. And if we say, well, well, it's, you know, it's their job to come to me first, that's not what Matthew 5 says. If we say, well, well, you know, I'm just tired, I can't, I don't feel like it. Again, that's not what our text says. Once you listen, once you own what you can own, the third thing that, and we have, there's a whole other sermon on this at some point, is the whole other thing then is there has to be a willingness to forgive and repent. Because what, what is forgiveness and repenting? Forgiving is not holding what the perpetrator has done against them, and repenting is actually admitting what has been done as well. And if one person of another race says that your ethnic group or your race has wronged my people group, we have to listen deep in our hearts. We have to admit, we have to own. Only then can forgiveness and repentance happen. Now, I think this is where James 2 can be helpful. Go to James 2 and talks about this phrase, uh, do not show favoritism. And the word favoritism is the Greek word for partiality. It's the um, it's actually a pretty amazing word because it, it's the word that is used that you look at somebody's face and you make a decision based on what you see. And so you're supposed to not make a decision based on the partiality of what you see the, um, in front of you, whether it's beautiful or not beautiful, whether it's white or black, whether it's male or female. That's showing partiality. And the reason why James says that, he says, listen, if you're going to love your neighbor, if you're going to not do murder... That means, for your life, that means to not show favoritism. And by the way, let me just back up for a second. If you think that I'm actually reading into this text, if you're like, hey, this is like a bunch of modern stuff, let's, let's zoom out. Go to uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism. It's one of the founding documents that, as Presbyterians, we have to own and subscribe to as ministers. Written in January 1647, 375 years ago, about this command— Here's the catechism question. What is required in the sixth commandment to do not murder? And this is what a completely different people group and culture, looking at this text 375 years ago, this is what they said. The duties required are to preserve the life of ourselves and others. Let that hit you for a second. This is a completely different group of people. And they said, they understood that to not murder means you have to be for the preservation of life of other people. 
And the biblical texts they use obviously are, are they, they, they use um, proof texts that are about loving our neighbors and those who, uh, you know, the poor being hurt and injured. So these are not modern people saying this. If the Bible is saying this, if our old, you know, couple hundred year old catechisms are saying this, we're not supposed to be just reconciled individually, but socially, collectively, to groups of people. What I've been asking myself this week is, have I listened? Am I listening? Am I engaging? Because you can't reconcile unless you go, but we, have I gone out to seek shalom and peace for all classes, races, and genders? I'm not sure that I have. And this, let me tell you why. Because that's going to be hard. That's going to be messy. And I think we're seeing this in live action. We're seeing it out there. People are attempting to do this, and it's not going well. I think the church has so much to offer here because we're not going to go out there to score points. We're not going to be just tearing down. The command to reconcile is to build up. It's to use forgiveness and repentance where we, where we it, it leaves no space for us to marginalize other people or to leave people marginalized, right? Because we're not called to cancel, we're called to reconcile. So second thing. Third thing, as far as our spheres, reconcile individually, reconcile uh, socially, and then lastly, it says reconcile with those whom you can't advocate for themselves. Well, you go, what is that about? I don't know if you, this, this might not be your thing, but there's an active conversation right now in, in culture about where do human rights come from? Everybody talks about, well, that's a human right. People love to throw that phrase around. That's a human right. Well, where does that come from? And what makes a human right a human right? Because right now, I'll tell you this, why, for instance, do humans feel like they have more rights than plants and animals? Because we do. You know why? Because we kill plants and animals to live. There's no way for you not to, to do that. But we feel the right to, to take that and eat because we believe that we have a human right to do so. What, and we base it usually, most philosophers and individuals are saying, well, it's because humans can think. We're rational. We're rational beings. But then the grounds for being human, if we're rational, what do we do when somebody who's elderly, who might be senile, might, who might have lost his or her faculties? What, or, or what do you do with an infant or a baby who can't reason by themselves? What do you do with, with a baby that's in a womb who can't even advocate for itself? Right? Each of these three types of individuals, they can't make their own choices. They don't have full rational cognitive uh, abilities. They're completely and utterly dependent on other people for, to provide for them. And frankly, they're a cost to society. They cost a lot of money. And, and in their, their exact state, they don't produce anything. There are people who will tell you, well, since those people don't have those cognitive factors, they don't have the same level of rights. That we can end the rights of the baby in the womb. That we can end the elderly because they don't have any utility anymore. And yet what this command is saying, when it says do not murder, it means that we're supposed to preserve all life. That all people are made in God's image. And therefore we don't have the right to kill them. We don't have the right to decide when and how we end those individuals. And so to be reconciled to these people, to not rockalize people, that means to give individuals the same dignity for being an image of God regardless of their social position, but also their ability to advocate for themselves. Further, we're told to protect those in the womb. 
supposed to protect those closer to the tomb, from womb to tomb. We're supposed to advocate and defend. And so are you now seeing, hopefully, the ramifications and the applications of this text? That it, this goes from race relations to, to what we do with people in the womb. It goes from individual to collective. And, it, and really, to do this command, to make this the core of your life, it changes how, if you let this happen, it changes how you see everyone and anyone. And it's begging us, friends, it's begging us, are we reconciled? Are you? Are you seeking it out? Are we seeking it out for others? And if we're terribly honest, the truth is, I'm not. And I don't think we are. And so the last point here is, is what's the motivation that's going to make us do this? What's going to allow us to do this? Because this is hard. If you try to do what I just laid out, if, I, if you actually comprehensively see the need to be for the life, the preservation of all life, it will impact not just your individual, your social, and the lives of those who you advocate for. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be costly. It's going to take everything and anything about who you are. If you're really going to do justice for the people who have been radicalized, and by the way, our political systems like to point out their version, the only one part of these groups, if, you, uh, if you're reading between the lines right now, who have been othered, who have been cast out, despised, demeaned, ignored, and by the way, some that you've done yourself, it will cost you time, talent, treasure. It'll cost you these things. And the question is, are we willing to do that? And some of you are like, yeah, intellectually, theoretically, but then practically and actually, we're tired. I don't know if I can listen to one more person upset at me might be a phrase you've said in your head. I don't know if I can handle one more um, child in need, one more racial group, one more class group that needs my help. How are we going to do this? I was reflecting on this this past week, and obviously when you start reflecting, you, the first thing you go to is like your, yourself. And I'm, friends, I'm, I'm tired. I'm emotionally spent. I'm spiritually spent. I'm, I'm, I'm fatigued. And, and, and it's like, how can I care? Because that's what we're talking about. How can I just care? For, and I do care. But can I care tomorrow? Can I care the next day and the next day? It's just so much. And in my quiet time this past week, I was reading about Jesus on the cross. And there's that famous line that he says, right? On the cross, the last thing out of his mouth was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I never thought about this. The word forsaken means abandoned. It means to, to be given up. And I think when we're, we're a culture now that's talking about fairness all the time, what's fair. You know what's fair for somebody? If, if you've ever treated somebody as a nobody, fairness would be that you get treated like a nobody. If you dehumanize somebody, you treat them less that they deserve, fairness would mean that you're treated less. Because if that, it's very simple. If you rockalize, you should be Rockalized as well. If you've abandoned, then you should be abandoned. But if that's the just payment, what Jesus is saying and showing us on the cross, what he's experiencing is that's what we deserve. We deserve the abandonment that our lives have been lived out as. And he gets it. He willingly, knowingly, purposefully takes on the punishment that we deserve. 
He gets abandoned so that we get reconciliation. Jesus came to earth to reconcile. In fact, his whole mission is reconciliation between God and humanity. And the way it works is he gets cast out so that we get back in. And when you get that, if you can get that, when you see that, he, that you have been reconciled to him, the first thing that when I was, was sitting on this this week, it humbled me. It humbled me because I have a resume, I have what all the things I've done, and none of it works to overcome the abandonment that I've done. And so it humbles you. But the second thing it does is it, it shows you how loved that you really are. That it will give you the, and if you, if you take that, it will give you the ability to go out and then reconcile with other people beyond your natural human means. Because I think everybody has the, like, the natural way of wanting to do this. But what happens when you forgive somebody that's hurt you? What's happening is, is you're taking on the debt that they owe and you're owning it yourself. What happens when you listen to somebody that feels hurt because of what you've done or somebody else or a whole people groups have done? You, you're taking that burden on. But you're doing for them in that moment what has already been done for you in the person of Jesus. So how? Only when you don't get what you deserve will you seek out and reconcile with people regardless of what they deserve. I promise you, you know what I do mostly? I tally. I'm like, well, they're doing that and they're doing this and so there it is. It's, it, we, we're, we're playing who gets to be the one who gets to decide who has the most issue that's going on. Jesus is saying, what are you doing? I've been abandoned on the cross because that's what you deserve, and now you never will be abandoned. You'll never be disowned. You have been reconciled, and now you can go out and be men and women for reconciliation. I bet for most of us, we're pretty unaware about how angry and upset and hurt that we've been wronged by other races, classes, and genders. <laughs> and I think only by realizing that we don't get what we deserve but you've been let back in that you will ever begin to let other people back in despite what they deserve. This is radical. The world is not talking this way. Only the church can do this because only the church has a person who at the core of who he was dies for people that didn't love him, didn't accept him. And if you make that the core of who you are, you'll go out and love and accept people despite what they do for you. His love, undying, unrelenting, unbreaking, in the face of continued rockalization, allows us to then love and care for people in the face of their rockalization, regardless of who they are. And so, guys, this is for the perpetrator and the perpetrated. This is for the victim, and this is for the one who's, who's doing the victimizing. It, it, this is the freedom trail for Everybody, whether you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, rich, poor, male, female, I know of no other way. And if you do this, guess what you'll be? You'll be for, for all of life. What would it look like if we were people that were for all of life? You know what's funny? Christians are known for what they're against. What if we, we talk about what we're for? We are for all life. And we live that out. And we, didn't, and we didn't say, well, that person over there, they're out because he or she did this. No, bring them in the way you've been brought in. If he lost his life so we can get ours back, let us be known for life. Use the joy of the gospel, of the grace that you've been given, you, that you did not deserve, that you did not earn, but your sins 
have been taken away, and now you can cover other people. I was trying to think out the implications. You know what this means? You and I could be punched in the face. If this is dwelling in your life, you could walk, stand back up again without any malice in your heart. You could be wrongly accused. And as a wrongly accused person, you could still move out with energy and not be fatigued because it doesn't have that bearing that you thought it would. You could be rightly accused. Maybe you have done. And this will allow you to help your guilt and your shame and your hurt. You abandoned him, but he didn't abandon you. And so we do not abandon other people, all people. Friends, we have to move on to other commands, but this command has wide-reaching implications and applications. Take this on. Don't be overwhelmed with it. Because it, what it should do is force you further into what Jesus has done for you and allow you to move out in manifold ways, individually, with your individual relationships, socially, as well as for those who need to be advocated for most in need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I confess this, this sermon is, <laughs> it feels like it's so wide-sweeping. I try, really, this is the kitchen sink, because in this one simple statement, you've done exactly that. I pray we will first be convicted of our own role, even our apathy of lack of engagement. Maybe we, ha we don't actively do anything in our mind, but our passivity. Convict us, Father. I know we're limited. The good news is we're not, you're, you're not asking us to, to fix everything at all times, in all places, at all moments. You're just asking us to make that, who's that relationship? Who's that friend? Who's that person that we can go to and drop everything and look for reconciliation? Father, that, there's so many different versions of this. I think you're so wise in not telling us exactly how it looks. Give us a heart for it. Let us see that you are a God of reconciliation. You've come to do that for us, and now we can go out and do that for all other people. Father, help us to sit in the joy of what you've done. If, we, if some of us here are tired and fatigued, help us to sip on the beauty and love of what you've done. Let, let that impact us. Let us rest in the promises of the new creation that's coming into fruition that will allow us then to move out with security and hope and wonder. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.